We have a new leader in the A-League women. City drop points again and Western United capitalise, taking the provisional Premier's position heading into the international break. The week off comes at an ironic time for Wellington and City, just as they get back all of their Kiwis who are busy off qualifying for the Olympics with the national team. Victory make a statement for their late season aspirations with a big win over the Wanderers at the home of the Matildas. Can we find anything new to say about Serena Bolden as her hat-trick for the Jets sent them clear of the Brisbane Roar? Mariners win a big six-pointer in Perth and Adelaide score perhaps one of the jammiest goals of all time to nick a point against City. Then there's games being uh, delayed and delayed and eventually abandoned in a very stormy Sydney day on this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Avel and joining me for your dub review is Paletti. Hello to you. Good evening. So how long have you ever spent on a game of football before you've gone, ah, no, weather's no good. Let's go home, everybody. I say this knowing where you were in the weekend for the men's as well. (laughs) (laughs) I I know we try not to talk about men's football around here um, on on our dub episodes, but I was in the press box uh, for the MacArthur game that did have a one-hour kickoff delay due to storms. And I was also in the press box on the uh, fateful day last year uh, with the Newcastle and MacArthur four-hour game. So, you know, I've 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 been through some tough ones. At least they at least they cancelled this one early enough so you could go home. Yeah, well, thankful. Well, to be fair, like yes and no. I mean, I feel sorry for the Sydney fans that travelled down to Canberra for this one. I I feel bad for Canberra as a whole. Like looking back at their whole season, they had the game missed for Sydney FC when they were off competing in Asia. I believe yeah. the Wanderers game that got rescheduled yeah. was Canberra as well, and now this as well. So they've had a lot of midweek games that to catch up on, and they're still two games behind most of the competition. So maybe those 14 points are a little deceiving. Maybe Canberra could be in for a late run. <laughs> well, the other problem with this, with this game in particular, is like Canberra played the Wanderers twice in the space of five days. Um, they're running out of time to put these games yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And it's also how do you sort out the lineups? Because it, like, is it going to be a situation similar to what we saw with the Melbourne Derby last year, where it's a new game just started from, um, you know, started from the point of abandonment? I don't or, think so. I, I think regulations are a little more clear. It's in or terms do of teams have to keep their lineups? And in which case, if they have to keep their lineups, they have to wait until after the under twenties Asian Cup is done, because. Uh, Indiana Dos Santos was in this lineup. Um, Shay Holman was in the lineup. Uh, Matty Caspers was in the lineup. And I don't remember who on the Canberra side was in the lineup, but, you know, they're missing Tegan Bertolissio, um, Chloe Lincoln, and Sasha Grove, both of whom definitely, the latter of whom would have definitely been in the lineup. So there'll be six or seven players missing from this game for the next three weeks. Um, with the under-20s Asian Cup. So it's either you have to wait three weeks to put this game on, in which case Canberra are absolutely screwed, as are Sydney, or they find somewhere to slot it while half the teams are overseas. Now, there's no way they'll require the same lineups because that, that's not ever feasible to guarantee at any point for any league. But the game will be replayed because they didn't reach halftime. Uh, there is a stipulation where if they did ha- reach halftime or, or maybe at least start the second half, I forget where the rounding error occurs, but... Um, then it would have counted, but they will have to replay that fixture. But we'll talk more about more uh, 
talk more about those teams after they come back from the international break and actually play a full 90 minutes of football and we'll get stuck into our game of the week which is Melbourne victory for Western Sydney Wanderers nil and Paletti this was a big statement victory for the victory a big 4-0 really good uh, exciting play there was a lot to like uh, as well that first goal through an effective forward press that triggers that error from Hayley Collins and then Wynut's able to capitalise on the goal. Emily Gionic, of course, she's in a great run of form the last couple of weeks. And not just her goal of the season contender as well from just shy of the halfway line, but she was perpetual throughout the whole game, really pressuring the Wanderers' defence. I'm sure if Christian was here, he'd be saying, why is she not in a Matilda shirt? He's been on that train for a couple of weeks. Um... Yeah, look, there's probably a few in line, but she's definitely proving her case in the A-League women. Look, Kayla Morrison, I thought from at centre-back was brilliant as well. Always a rock down back, but her progressive carries and progressive passing, those diagonal balls out to the wings, uh, you know, was deadly all night. And they locked down their box really well and didn't allow too much. So heading into finals, only five games now to go for the victory. They're one of those teams on 17 games played. We talked about it all year that if Jeff Hopkins can get their team firing towards the right end of the season, which he's done before, then victory will be a threat. And I think that's what they showed in this game. Yeah, and I think I think one of the biggest things for me to take away from this game is the fact that you've got Emily Gilnick in fine form. I, I know they played with a front three, but essentially... Over time, you think once Gilnick gets back to complete and full fitness, that might be able to drop to a front two. And then, you know, you can sort of play, instead of playing a 4-3-3, go to a 4-4-2 and put Rachel Lowe back in the midfield where she's so deadly as opposed to playing her out of position as a striker. Because, like, I know Rachel Lowe's having the season of a lifetime from a goal-scoring perspective, but she's so much better in the midfield when she doesn't have to play up front. And so I think if you can drop her back a little bit, that that will lead to better things for the victory and might help them, you know, seal some uh, seal seal a move deeper towards the thing. On, on this Emily Gilnick goal, so I've seen it and thought, yeah, that's going to be the best goal I see today. And then Harry McCarthy for Manly United in the NPL New South Wales men's competition decided to do something just as impressive, and it's like. Wow, that's uh, I, I feel like I've seen this already tonight. <laughs> it, it was it was weird. <laughs> so yeah, but I mean, look, overall, this was this was a dominant performance from the victory. I I don't know what to make on the Wanderers side of things for this. Like, it just looks like the Wanderers had an off night. Yeah, it it was weird. Like, it didn't look like they felt sure of themselves in anything they were really doing. I think the first goal goal rattled them a little bit. Uh, like it, it is Colin's mistake. Yes, there was the press there from Chidiak and Wynat, but it, it was the goalkeeper's heavy touch that in the end was the error that led to the goal. And then from there, they just didn't look on it. I, I think maybe mentally for the rest of the game, they didn't clear the ball particularly well. You know, the, the first Gionic goal, the header that bounces in front of like three players, like someone just has to attack it and deal with that. And there's plenty of examples of, you know, balls into the box that or closing down players on the edge of it where you just have to be a little more engaged with the game perhaps and deal more. So I, I think Robbie Hooker just has to try and get some more belief, a little more fire perhaps. And maybe it's tricky when you're, you're a few goals down away to the victory, but 
you know, getting that passion in and really trying to fight for those points because there's only five games now and, uh, well, six with the Wanderers because they still do have one of those midweek games in hand. But every point really matters now. They're even with Perth and Newcastle on 23 points fighting for that sixth position. So every game seriously does matter. So, uh, you know, they've got to just bounce back straight away and see what they can do next week because you can't afford at this point in the season to be stuck in the past. No, you can't. And I think... For the Wanderers, if you look at their outs because of the under-20s uh, Asian Cup coming up, Alexia Postolakis starting midfielder. You've got Gemma Ferris who's starting in the back line. It's not going to get easier for them over the next few weeks, especially with that extra game in hand. Jeff Hopkins, uh, not Jeff Hopkins, Robbie Hooker is down, you know, two of his key players when they've got that extra game to play. Um, on the victory side of things, no Alana Murphy, no Jess Nash for the next few weeks. But like in this game, we saw Murphy come off the bench. Jess Nash didn't play. Um, you know, she was stuck on the bench. So I think it's not going to hurt the victory as much as it will the Wanderers. Um, but yeah, that's that's not going to make things easier for Robbie Hooker, is it? Do you want to briefly explain the the timeline of the Asian Cup? Yep. Yeah, so the under twenties Asian Cup, I believe the opening group stage is. Uh, game is the third, I think. It's the first weekend of March. I know that. They, they leave now, though, so they go away. Yeah, so basically, because of the international break, they'll be got. So they'll be heading into camp shortly. Um, they might already be in camp. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, and then basically the tournament runs through until the seventeenth of March. So if the young Matildas make it to the final, those players will be gone. For until the 17th um, and then you know we'll start coming back in the week after with just two games left to go in the season for most teams so three of the most crucial games of the season for these sides four in the case of the Wanderers and some of their key players are going to be missing not the best timing obviously international duty calls and we want to see the young Matildas do well but I think this is going to show a lot of which sides have recruited well and who has the depth available. Because um, I, I don't know how this is going to impact the table either because different players are leaving different sides that have different strengths and different weaknesses, right? Like we see, if you look at Sydney FC, uh, Matty Caspers, Indiana Dos Santos, Jane Dos Santos, Talia Franco is the backup goalkeeper, Shea Holman and Zara Kruger. That's basically their starting midfield completely gone for the next, for the next four weeks. Like, it's... It's a big, it's a big blow to a team like Sydney. Whereas, and we'll talk about this with City in a minute. You know, they've got some key outs and throw in their departures already, and it's like, how much further down the table can they slide? Yeah, and a really good example of how those kind of absences impact a team is the next game we'll talk about, which is Western United three Wellington Phoenix nil. Now, obviously, the, the New Zealand women's national team were away for the Oceanic Olympic qualifiers, and the Kiwis have won that tournament quite easily, and so they'll be going to Paris, which is great for them. But it meant for the Wellington Phoenix, who obviously have a lot of domestic New Zealand players, uh, I believe they said on the commentary, nine regulars out. Now, some of those were for injury as well, but most of them obviously on international duty, and you never really stand a chance if you have that many out. And they didn't against Western United. Paletti, three goals, uh, you know, they they just, as I said, they never really stood a chance, to be perfectly honest. No, they didn't. And I think we kind of saw this in 
in full effect for Western United. They dominated this game. Um, I was able to watch a bit of this first half because of the delay in the MacArthur game, and I know that there were uh, there were a few people in the little corner of yellow who had who had the iPad out and were watching the first half um, uninterrupted while we were waiting for the play to start in Campbelltown. So, uh, I mean, it's you can put you can put an asterisk on this result all you want, but at the end of the day, it's still it's still a result that's happened and. For Wellington now, that's four losses in their last five. They've completely slid down the table. They're in ninth. They've got 19 points. They're four points back of three teams who are all vying for that sixth-place spot. Are they done? Oh, I don't think they're done. No, they're only four points away, and they have one of those games in hand. And I think the message Paul Temple should be putting across is, okay, we've had this issue with our players out now. We've got them back. We've got the international break to work. And then all the Aussie teams are going to have a few players out each. And now it's our turn to push the advantage. And, you know, going in the last run of the season, we know what the football that they're capable of. They had a very good start to the year. If they can try and refine a little bit of that form that they had early on and try and use that message of, okay, now it's our turn and build from there, go in strong and you get a couple of wins rolling into the final series and you never know what happens. So obviously... They're, they're not in that top four conversation that we thought they might have been towards the start of the year. But uh, I definitely wouldn't be ruling out Wellington just yet. Okay, so I want to take a look at their run home for a second. So they've got three home, three away. 3rd of March, they play Melbourne Victory in Melbourne. Then it's the Distance Derby in Perth. Uh, then they welcome Sydney FC. Then they play Adelaide United in the midweek rescheduled game because of... Um, uh, because of these Olympic qualifiers. Then it's travel to Canberra and then Wanderers at home on the final day of the season, uh, which will also double as their pride celebration. So we're looking at Canberra United, Adelaide United, both well out of the six. Perth Glory currently out of the six. And not playing well. Yeah, not playing well. Sydney FC, as we've already touched on, um, Wonder is not in great form either. Like pending, uh, like Sydney FC with, uh, you know, how far the young Matilda's going in the Asian Cup, potentially missing half their midfield. Uh, yeah, and Wonder is not in great form either. Like it's entirely possible that they can turn this around. But for me, I think the problem goes, it's that it's those four games in the middle, right? It's Perth Glory away on the 8th. Then it's Sydney FC at home on the 17th, Adelaide at home on the 20th, and Canberra United away on the 24th. That's a lot of travel in 16 days. And there's some tough opposition in there. Like, how are they going to handle such lengthy travel and such a condensed schedule as well? Yeah, no, it's very tricky. You're right. And Look, it's going to be tricky for the Phoenix, but, um, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it shakes out. But the big story, obviously, on the other side of this game is that Western United, the top of the league, 32 points, one clear of Melbourne City, uh, a lot of wins in the row. It's at least five from from memory. It might be more than that. But they're looking exceptional. This, this game, as we said, might have been just a little box that needed to be ticked on the way to the next fixture, which will be uh, against the bottom of the table, Canberra. So, you know, they show no signs of... No, uh, no signs of slowing down. 
Chloe Legazzo, another great outing. She earned her Matilda's call up for a reason and she showed it again in this game. But the big standout for me was Hannah Keane. I thought she was exceptional. She held the ball up well in areas. She was able to drift wide and looked good in one-on-one situations and uh, making plenty of forward runs in behind the final line of defense as well, which her midfielders found her often. And, you know, she hit the crossbar twice. She could have scored a hat-trick very easily, got one in the end. Uh, but I thought she was exceptional in this game. Yeah, she, she did everything absolutely right. I don't think Weston really put a foot wrong in this game all across the park. Um, and we had an Olympico as well. And uh, I, I've heard from people who were there, uh, shout out to the Far Post pod, there was no wind at all in the stadium, which is very which is very rare um, for Caroline Springs, or so I've been told by uh, Melbourneian locals. So can't blame the wind on that one. No, no, this was a proper Olympico by Grace Mar, non-win assisted. Um, that was probably my favorite part of this game. <laughs> what do you think the thing is with Olympicos in the women's game? Because that obviously happens so much more often than in the men's. I have no idea i mean do do you reckon it's the height of goalkeepers i that might play into it a little bit i think because i i just think if you get the right ball that swings in high to that far post if the keeper's too far if they're even central they can't you know get back and jump behind them and able to get that ball i don't know I don't know, this might be a question for someone who specializes in Olympicos, Paige and Maurice Holodanik. Um, <laughs> look, I think this is... Um, it's a fascinating point you raise. I think, looking at the dub specifically, they play in stadiums... Like I know I just said this one wasn't wind-assisted, but they play in stadiums that are a lot more open. Yep, they yep. Get, I totally accept like, that So point, I think yeah. the elements come into it a little bit more. Um but I, I think the height's definitely definitely a concerning factor. Because it's keepers. the same size goals, right? Yeah, yeah. So everything's the same size. I, I think I think a little bit more exposed, a little bit in the elements. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a this might give me an idea for an article. Well, there you go. Yeah, do an investigation into the uh, Olympico expected Olympicos in women's soccer. There we go. As as, as Paletti uh, rubs their face with their hands, but we'll move on. And uh, we're bringing back an oldie but a goodie, Paletti. Uh, Paletti's rants. You have another good one. We'd like to bring this out, especially when it's just you and me. And uh, I believe you have a special topic for us today. Yes, we are talking about the pay discrepancy in women's football, specifically Australian women's football. And this one comes off the back of uh, Matilda's squad selection. Courtney Vine ruled out of the uh, Matilda squad. She withdrew due to personal reasons. I hope everything's okay with Courtney Vine um, and that whatever has happened is okay. It brought Sophie Harding in and Sophie Harding absolutely deserves a call-up. She's been in line for it. She's having a fantastic season. But what caught my ear was the Wanderers put out a piece of content the day of the announcement and uh, Harding was talking about how she found out in the middle of a 10-hour shift. That is ridiculous that we have players who are having to go through 10-hour shifts in the middle of a season because they're not on fully professional contracts. This is not a new issue in the competition. Uh, Fiona Wirtz, I think it was a five-goal game for Adelaide a few years back, the Julie Dolan medalist. 
Where was she the day after that game? She was working at McDonald's because that was where her job was. And we were talking about it like, oh, this is terrible. And that was a few years ago and nothing has changed. Uh, I can recall Teresa Polias having to miss an away trip to Perth because it was on a Thursday night and she had to be at her job the next day. We've now the study is a little bit different, but you know, we saw BD Goad miss a portion of the season because she's off doing studies to be a doctor. Absolutely fantastic, full respect to that. And Victory have obviously okayed that and probably recruited well around that, as we've seen with Chidia coming in. But in terms of a pure job perspective, we have the best of the best coming through. Every single player who is or has been a part of the Matilda squad recently has come through the A-League women's. This is not uh, this is not a new thing. They've all come through this competition and yet they're having to work jobs in the middle of the season bar maybe a small handful of players that are probably on marquee contracts. And I think I think Courtney Vine's on a marquee contract. Uh, I think Sam Kerr was on a marquee contract for her last season here in the dub. But, you know, those are very few and far between. And for a lot of these players... As soon as their contracts expire on, I think it's April 30, they're going straight back to MPL competitions because they don't have a choice. That's where the content is, on the, that's, that's where the time is in the off-season. That's how they keep playing football. That's how they keep earning their money while struggling jobs again. Like, if we want to take the next generation of Matildas seriously... This needs to be a full-time professional competition. We need, we can't have these players working 10-hour shifts in the middle of the season. I worked a six-and-a-half-hour shift before I covered an AFC Cup game a couple of weeks ago. You know what I wanted to do as soon as I was done with work? I wanted to sleep because I was exhausted and I still had to go cover a cup. I came home and I basically passed out. I was exhausted. How are, how are we expecting players to perform at their absolute peaks coming off a 10-hour work shift. I know, like, it's just, it's insane. This, If the APL is serious about the women's competition, this needs to change for next season. Otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah, look, Pauletti, we usually go, we, we usually let your rants go unanswered and we just move on. However, I will reply to this one because I think it's an important topic and necessary to do so. And I'll play the devil devil's advocate role. And obviously the answer here is what everyone knows. It's the, the, it's the commercial viability of the league which determines players' contracts. And that's nothing new. I think the players and the leagues and, and the clubs all accept this. Um, however, you know, we've seen a, a large increase this year, thank you, thanks to the Matildas and the World Cup in terms of attendance and memberships and the commercialization of the league. So hopefully this will be a good test case to see what the league is capable of bringing in financially and how that can be transferred to the players and i will bring in one other comparison as well and the afl and what they're doing with the aflw is subsidizing these contracts to get players eventually it's not happened quite just yet but there is a plan in place to get them to 12 month professional contracts and that's accepting that the, the league doesn't have the commercial ability to provide that in terms of pure revenue just yet but we're going to invest in the future, let you be professionals for 12 months so you don't have to work a job, you can train more with more resources and accelerate the growth of the game. Now, obviously, there's been plenty of conversation in the last few months specifically about the financial position of the APL where that's just not possible right now and that's an unfortunate reality of you know, the league that affects both the men's and women's competitions. But it's a very important topic that you raise and a, a rant well ranted. I think just, just just before we move on, I want to touch on that point. We know like the, the financial situation of the league, but this doesn't happen in the men's competition. 
You've got like even, but that 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 is because the clubs generate enough revenue to can you know to allow themselves to pay that money. But to I'm players. saying you've got the kids that are on scholarship contracts that are still earning sixty sixty five thousand dollars a year, or because they're going like to develop all... into players that are valuable in the men's market. I understand it, it, it's but not a fair system. If you're building, if you're building towards the future, we've seen the women's transfer market go off. In recent in recent months, we we just saw Caitlin Torpy get a significant sum uh, for Melbourne City that was then bested a few days later by uh, Lisanne Pru, uh, both going to the NWSL. This is where the future can be for these clubs: is six figure fees for this young Australian talent coming overseas. But uh, it, it's going to be one of those right. Is the pure talent going to be enough if they're working five, six, seven, eight-hour shifts and they don't have the chance to train full-time to, to get to that point? Or do you have to, say, bite the bullet now? Okay, like, we understand most clubs in the league uh, run at a loss, um, and that's on the men's side as well. Like, as a whole, run at a loss. Do you bite the losses a little bit more for the future returns because you know it's coming is, is what I'm getting at. If you're doing it for the men, why are you not doing it for the women? Because, because the women's market just hasn't quite yet developed enough to legitimize that argument. And I think it is coming and it will come. And I understand you want to happen quicker because the league is so important and it helps, you know, the game and the sport and the Matilda so much. And I firmly believe it will happen. We just need a little more time just yet. But as I said, with all those increases to crowds and memberships and merchandise, I'm sure comes along with that and broadcast revenue. Hopefully it's not too far away, but let's move on. That was, that was a good discussion. Actually, it moved a bit beyond Pauletti's rants, um, but I was happy with that, but let's move on to the Newcastle jets three Brisbane raw nil. And uh, look, I said on the men's episode yesterday, Perth glory climbing up the ladder, going to make finals on um, on board with the Jets in the women's as well. I know they're actually in finals now. We had a bit of a laugh before the record because I was looking at a ladder that had goal difference ahead of wins. So it looks like the Jets are sitting seventh for me, but they're actually in sixth. Uh, so they are in finals contention already. Uh, but looking at the teams around them, I'm pretty sold on the Jets and Serena Bolden, Pauletti. I mean, what more can we say? We've been hyping her up all year. You and Antonis were probably the two in preseason that were leading the charge for her to get a club as well. She did end up with the Jets. She's scoring for fun, a hat-trick in this game. And I'm going to put it out there to you because I have an answer to this as well. And I think yours is going to be pretty similar. But is she the favorite for the Julie Dolan medal now? I think she's been the favorite for the Julie Dolan medal for about a month. And if I could bet on this, I would have already loaded a ton of money into it. Like, it's... I mean, like Serena Bolden was asking, you know, as I touched on in my interview with her, which if you haven't read already, head over to the innersanctum.com.au to read that one. Um, you know, she was wondering why she didn't have a contract coming into the season. You know, it took her a month to get a contract, and yet she's still the favourite for the best and fairest. Like, I know we saw Alex Chidiak win up with only half a season, and... Um, uh, Bolden's got a lot more games than what Chidiak did this year because of the extended... Uh, because of the extended season. But, you know, that's a lot of points to miss out on your first few weeks. And, like, we obviously don't know what the voting looks like, but how is she not getting, you know, two points, three points in all these games is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, she's just... She's anywhere. She's everywhere. She's on the ball. She's off the ball. Hat-trick in this one. Like, if that's not enough to seal up three points in Julie Dolan voting, 
Uh, whoever's doing the voting, I just want to talk to you. That's all I want to do. I just want to talk. Yeah, look, I, I said a couple of weeks ago on the pod that I thought Courtney Vine was the best player in the league. And I still think that's true. But I think undoubtedly Serena Bolden has had the better season. And uh, obviously there's intricacies that come with the voting system that throw these things out of whack a little bit. But she definitely has to be up there. But from the Newcastle Jets perspective, Paletti, they've made it. They're into the six now. The charge up is complete. We were talking as early as when Emily Van Egmond was playing in the team and, and you wrote a piece about her as well recently in the Sanctum as well that can be read online. Um, but the signs have all been there. We talked about uh, their great win against uh, the Phoenix a couple of weeks ago and they've got another three points here against the Raw. 3-0 victory and they're looking on the up. Yeah, they are indeed looking on the up. Um and I'll touch on that Emily Van Engelman piece for a little bit because um, one of the things she was asked in that press conference uh, was around the Newcastle Jets. Um, I wonder who asked such a question. I don't know. Um, was she was talking, talking about the youth of the squad and like because the Jets haven't had the best of seasons in recent times. They've kind of turned everything around this year. And um, it was a young, youthful squad and a lot of the girls who probably haven't ever had that opportunity to play at that level coming in and for them to be there and be part of it, it was fantastic to see. The young guns like Emma Dundas, who's 16, I think that just speaks volumes of what they're doing at Newcastle with their academies and their programs from junior football all the way to the W League side. Long live the W League. Um, it was a nice little put-together team and good camaraderie. I think Newcastle is always the hard-working team, no matter what, and it's just pleasing to see that they're getting some results for that now. I check in from time to time, and I'm hoping they can go all the way this year. I think that last one's a little bit of a bold prediction, because. but I mean, we know that once you get into the finals, it's a bit of a crapshoot. You've just got to be on for three weeks, and who's to say that the Jets can't? But NPL, you said well as reference number two, um, the young guns like Emma Dundas, who's 16, I think that just speaks volumes of what they're doing at Newcastle with their academies and their programs from junior football all the way to the W League side. I've watched the Emerging Jets for the last couple of years and they get battered pillar to post week in, week out. Um, you know, they copped an 8-1 thrashing uh, last season from the Illawarra Stingrays, uh, which saw Serena Bolden score four goals in that game uh, for the Stingrays in her lead into the Women's World Cup. Like, I don't think they won a game at all last season, the Emerging Jets. Like, like I said, they get battered pillar to post every week. But it's where their development is, and it's coming through. Like Emma Dundas has been a key part of that side, and you're seeing the rewards now at uh, at the dub level, and that's just going to continue with the way the emerging debts are going. So I think I think that's I think that's something good uh, talking point there from from Van Egmond. From a Brisbane perspective, Paletti, you asked me about Wellington, and they're sitting on 19 points. With six games left, are they out of the competition? I'm going to throw the same question back at Brisbane because I think there's an even stronger argument here. Six points uh, off the pace, but they have played 17, so there's only five left. You know, they go and they play Melbourne City next week, who we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later, but they're going to welcome back their Kiwis, Rebecca Stott and Hannah Wilkinson. Those are two very big inclusions Maybe not right now, but a loss against City that week, and it makes it very, very difficult. I think the 3 0 scoreline in this game, it was actually a little bit generous to the Jets because it was a very even contest for a large portion of the match. But obviously, the three goals doesn't make it look quite that way. They had more possession, more attempts on goal, shots on target, all that kind of thing. Uh, I think Sean Freyer was probably the shining light. She's had a good couple of weeks, continues her run of form. 
but the season is very much on the edge for Brisbane now. They have to turn it on this week against City or I'm afraid I'm going to put the line through them. Look, I've got the pencil through them already and I think a loss to City will change that pencil to mark up. I think, as you said, they're six points back of the pace, um, but they're also three wins back of the pace with the APL's tiebreaker rule. So they've only got four wins. And if we look at that um, top six, it's uh, it's Newcastle Jets in six with uh, 23 points, seven wins. Western Sydney, seven, uh, 23 points, seven wins. Perth Glory, six wins, 23 points. So they've got to make up a significant number of wins with only five games to do so. They could win out and they've still got to rely on results to go their way, essentially. And... If you're relying on results to go your way with this much runway to go, your season's probably done. And like I said, pencil through them now. If they lose to City, put the marker through them. They're done. I'm actually more optimistic about Canberra. Yeah, because Canberra have games in hand. And they they can score goals, which I think has been one of Brisbane's uh, bigger problems this year is... uh, is that, but I mean, depending on who you ask, there's problems up there in Brisbane uh, with the club as a whole, men's side, women's side. Like depending on who you ask, uh, we, how many sides, how many men's coaches has, have the club gone through this year? Gareth McFer- yeah, Gareth McPherson was replaced by Alex Smith after the season had already started. Is that a decision that's going to come back to bite Brisbane because they looked good under Gareth McPherson and then it took them a few weeks to get settled under Alex Smith? Yes, but I think that's just purely indicative of a larger problem. And after the APL sort out, uh, you know, we've seen Perth get new ownership. Uh, we're hoping Newcastle will happen soon. The rumor is that is Canberra is only days to weeks away from an announcement as well. So the, apart from the ones that don't have owners, uh, Brisbane is definitely the club that has the most cause for concern. And I think there's much higher up issues than simply what's going on in the training park. Well, I mean, we've seen the APL not be afraid to take the license away from owners um, if needed. We saw it with Martin Lee. Um, you know, I, I know Gold Coast United folded, but, you know, we've seen it there. Um, Tony Sage handed his license back to the league. Now, how much of that was Tony Sage voluntarily handing it back? Or, or the league allowing him to save face, essentially. And it's like, like, yeah, we're taking this off you. Like, like it... I guess I guess the question is is does the league step in in the next twelve months and take the license away from the backeries is probably is probably the question I'm asking. Yeah, well, I'll I'll leave it open ended because it's a very complicated question to answer. But um, yeah, uh, disappointing for the Raw, especially after the start of the season they've had. Uh, but we'll move on to Perth Glory one, Central Coast Mariners three, a very very important win for the Mariners in the in the context of the finals race pushing Perth Glory further down so the Mariners now have a two-point gap sitting in fifth and are only then one and two points behind a victory in the Sky Blues in fourth and third as well. So big six points. I know you hate that term, but it, it was it, you know, it was a tight game as well. Perth scored first. They had to do it the hard way, the Mariners. Um, but, you know, they pushed hard and they got goals. And, you know, looking at their run in, yes, they have City and, and Western, in the final two rounds so that's a tough way to finish but then also Adelaide and Canberra so 
you know, TSM's the bottom of the table. This win was so important that they get three points here because those last two games of the season are going to be tough. So they have to bank the points in now. And uh, it's touch and go, but they're, they're looking, I'd probably say, more likely than not to sew up that top six spot. Yeah, which seems almost remarkable when we, we talked about them at Christmas when we did our um, uh, when we did our predictions ladder sort of episode and kind of broke down where all the teams were. Uh, if memory serves, we all had them penciled in for eighth um, and they're now in fifth. Um, it's not to say they're not going to finish eighth and we're all going to prove to be Nostradamai, but it's looking more and more like they're going to be a top six side. And I don't quite think uh, Emily Husband will get them to where West United were last year in the sense that they'll make the grand final. Um, but that's not out of the question. They've got a strong side. They've got a strong side there um, on the coast. Emily Husband's done a fantastic job. I think for me the big concern is going to be the fact that Peter Tremis is off to the under-20 Asian Cup, as we've already touched on. She's been a crucial part of their side um, on the defensive end. And I think... She like we we saw her get upgraded to a scholarship contract, but she's not easy to replace. You can put a body there, but are you going to get the same level of workload that you get uh, out of what Trimmer does? And I don't know if you do. But I mean, Kaya Simon scored her first goal back. They've got Vergamal, like uh, they got Rollabatawea. Could this be as simple as the Mariners just have to score their problems? Like, like if, if they have problems defensively, I should say, I, I should put that clarifier on, is that if they, like, if they struggle defensively, can they outscore their problems if those problems arise? Otherwise, you know, do we see similar results to this where it's 2-1, 3-1, 4-2 sort of vibes where, you know, they're winning games comfortably, um, you know, despite anything that may or may not happen? Perth Glory, Pauletti. It feels sad, doesn't it, a little bit? Like, they had such a promising start. And, you know, we talked them up. You and I particularly were pretty high on them. We're probably the two biggest proponents of them. And I've watched a couple of their full 90s now in the last month or so. And I honestly can't really put my finger on it. Like, they they just... It seems like they're just losing games. And that's very uh, surface-level analysis, I know. But I mean, it's tricky. Uh, for me, Morgan Aquino's not performing at the same level that she was at the start of the season. I thought she was it's, still playing pretty good. No, no. I'm not saying she's not playing well. But okay, I'm saying yeah, yeah. it looks like she's just dropped down just a slight peg. And whereas earlier on in the season, that was either winning the games or getting them draws... And I think back to that Sydney FC game where Sydney just absolutely battered the living hell out of the glory and Morgan Aquino stopped it from being a bloodbath. You know, she's let in some soft goals in the last couple of weeks. Like, I, I don't know how she played this game because I believe all reports that came out of last week was that she was on her way to hospital after a collision with, I want to say Michelle Heyman off the top of my yes, head. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, she starts this game. She plays well, just... I don't even think you could say any of the goals were her fault. Like no, the she made last a couple one, of really good saves as well. Like, like the last one is a little 50-50. Should she have saved it? Probably. But it's also sometimes those just go in. It is what it is sort of situation. Like, So, yeah, I, I know that's a long way of saying I agree with you. They're just losing games and I don't know how. But, yeah, like we talked Alex Aparkas up. It looked like after a couple of seasons where they literally missed out on goal difference for the final series, they've just stopped. 
Yeah. And look, I think the one shining light for them is you saw Millie Farrow when she scored that goal, like the passion and the fire that was there and the joy putting that one away. It definitely still feels like they're on a mission. Like like they haven't dropped their heads. Obviously, they're losing games, but morale's going to go a little bit, but it still feels like they're motivated. They don't have the toughest run in. You know, Jets, Wellington, Wanderers, Brisbane, and then City in the last round, which is obviously tough. But those four games are definitely winnable for Perth if they can get their heads right and, and come out and, and win games. And, you know, it's tricky. They're in the race for the six now. You know, we thought they were going to be locked up top two, and now it's a question of will they play finals or not. Yes, I think. I mean, we were, we were discussing this pre-record, and I'm going to get the ladder back out. Like, the top six is basically where we had it when we did our predictions episode, Bar Central Coast being in instead of Perth Glory. So the Glory have been the team to drop out there. Level on points with the Jets on six, but they are a win back because the APL decided to do APL things. I mean, they've got a win to make up, plus potentially points, depending on how results play out. I mean... I think they can still do it. I just... I don't know. Western United are almost a lock. Melbourne City, they're probably not going to drop enough. Sydney FC, too good, I think. Victory, Jeff Hopkins just gets his teams playing well in the back half yeah, of the season. Yeah, I'm locking in that top four. Not in the order that they are now, but those top four will play finals. So that leaves Mariners in fifth, Newcastle in sixth, Wanderers in seventh, Glory in eighth. I don't think I. Well, so, and the Mariners have the advantage of being two points ahead of those last three teams. Yes, but but the tougher run in of the four. Tougher run in. I'll give you that. I think Newcastle playing too well this season to drop out. So that's five locked in. Three potentially four teams competing for one spot if we include the Knicks. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, Mariners, Western Sydney, Perth Glory, Wellington. Who gets in? <sighs> tricky Newcastle are in yep. and I reckon Perth will bounce back so I've got the I've got the Jets in so that's five oh, I just think the Central Coast run is a little too difficult and they've they've been inconsistent all year they've had ups and downs so if they can get on a little wave then, then perhaps they'll get enough points but if they get a couple of losses and then that continues to push them down I don't know what will happen but yeah, it's going to come down to the wire, which is great. And, you know, we've talked about this at Nauseam the whole year, but having the 12 teams with the longest season, with the 16 finals, it makes it a lot interest- a lot more interesting coming to the back end of the year. Yeah, because, I mean, if, if we had have just kept the final series from last year, you know, that top four is locked in, and we don't think anyone's kind of kind of moving into that top four. Like you said, you've got that locked in. Um, and, you know, we basically have the same top four again as we did last year. <sighs> I've got, I think I've got the Wanderers going in. So I've got the Jets and I've got the Wanderers. I think Robbie Hook is doing a phenomenal job out there in Western Sydney. And look, I think I think they'll bounce back. And I, I, I just I, th- I, th- I just look at it more like this. If the Wanderers don't make finals this year, when are they going to make finals is probably the question to be asked. Because this is their best season in like... Unfortunately, that's not how football works. <laughs> like, like, this is like their best season in seven years. And if they miss the finals, like, where to next? Because... The finals. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
probably. I, I just like I think that I think that they'll just be too good to get, uh, and they'll get in. I think. Perhaps. Well, there's still one more game that we should finish off as well. Uh, Melbourne City won. Adelaide United won. Melbourne City still without a win now in their last four. Uh, you know, we talked about the outs last week. Uh, they have the transfers and, and add on to that the New Zealand uh, Kiwis out as well, Stott and Wilkins, and they'll come back. They have Brisbane next week, Paletti. I, I expect them to bounce back. And to be perfectly honest, look, Adelaide United scored a very jammy goal off that corner that somehow found its way in on the, on the right side of the near post off that corner. So you, you can argue that they should have had three points here. And they're still got their fundamentals of the way Vidic wants to play in terms of holding possession and passing and stuff. They really struggled with the midfield progression, but I think Stott and Wilkinson coming back answers a lot of those questions. So as long as they can get those players back and, you know, they have a lot of new players that they're playing with because of all that player turnover, including the transfers, but a few weeks with Vidic uh, to figure out with their full squad how they want to play for the rest of the year. And I think they'll be right. I think they will perhaps maybe just hold on to the top top two spot. Might be touch and go. Um, but I still think they're pretty good odds for the championship this year. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I've seen this story before from Melbourne City. Like, they just fall short. Like, uh, I think back to the finals a couple of years ago. Believe they lost the title in the last day of the season. Like I think, like they needed to beat Wanderers. Sydney just needed the draw against Adelaide, and they had it sealed up. So like, they were still in and around the conversation. They go to Sydney week one of the finals. Um, they're two nil up. Vado Vitasic makes some, in hindsight, questionable substitutions, and Sydney FC go on to win that game four two after extra time. Um, and then they lose. I think, think it was to Melbourne victory the week after um or the week after that but like the, the, the they get knocked out and then you know last year comes around again it was a Melbourne derby in the finals um look I'm not necessarily going to put that one on City itself because like you they got to penalties, and I'm um, sorry. Once Casey Dumont stepped up to take that pen with just the absolute biggest swaggy you've ever seen in your life, like it was over at that point. You just it was done. Not like nothing was going to change. But I mean, they don't have Naomi Chinema for the next few weeks. They don't have TJ McKenna. They don't have Danielle Galich. No Caitlin Torpy because she's off the San Diego Wave. No Lisanne Peru because she's off the Bay FC. Yes, Stott and Wilkinson come back, but like Rihanna Politina hasn't looked at her best over the last few weeks. Yes, they've got Bradley Henry there, but I don't know if Dario trusts her enough to 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 kind of have her start with Wilkinson, or you know, trust her to kind of steady the ship a little bit. Um, and so it's almost looking like a situation of. Is Dario Ball going to be the downfall of this side? Because we've talked about it. They dominate possession. You know, this game against Adelaide, the more shots on target, more shots total. And yet Adelaide come away with a 1-1 draw. Like, like it, yes, if Melbourne City come away with three points here, we're probably having a completely different conversation. They're back on top. Or, or they stay on top. There's a little bit of a gap. Open up. Like only a two-point gap, but they still keep a small gap there. I just... I really don't know. Like I, I, like I said this a few minutes ago, I think City still stay in the finals 
because they've built up so much of a gap at the start of the season that it'd be almost impossible for them to drop out. There's no way they're dropping out of finals. No, no, no that's what I'm saying. Like mathematically, it's still possible, but it, it's not going to happen. But do they just like we've seen them start to falter a little bit? Do they just peter out towards the end of the season and? it's a week one finals exit if they don't have that top two spot. Otherwise, if they get the top two spot, they get that home and away leg. So, you know, they're one goal away from making the grand final, essentially. But, you know, if they've got that week one game, that extra game to play, are we looking at a week one finals exit for Dario Vitasic's side? But the other argument is, you know, football is ups and down, roller coaster side to side, all that stuff. And, you know, Melbourne City had that extremely good run of form. Now they're in a bit of a dip and... You know, they still have over a month. They have this international break to train. Does that help them push themselves up and, and spring, you know, spring jump them or whatever out of that slump? And from Western United's point of view, they've had really good wins. And when you're doing that, you have to put in a lot of effort and concentration. And are they able to maintain that from a month ago when they started the streak all the way through to the end of the final series? So that's a lot, that's a lot of effort to do. And you know, all of a sudden one loss might push them back behind City and then, you know, interesting things can happen. But yes, yeah, look, it's building towards uh, an extremely entertaining climax uh, for the end of the A-League women's season. Play, do you have anything else you want to say before we sign off? Um, just on the City side of things, I think I recall reading somewhere that Dario Vitesic is still looking at bringing in a free agent. Um, because they do have all those gaps um, and a little bit of money coming in, which will leave the salary cap space a little bit with uh, Torpy and Prue's absences. The catch is that they had to be a free agent at the time that the A-League transfer window shut, which, if we remember, is all the way back on December 26th. So you could sign free agents at any time. No, no, but what I'm saying is that like, they can't have been contracted to a club in the last transfer window is what I'm saying. So the A-League transfer window shut on December 26. Um, and so, because otherwise, like, yes, they'd be a free agent. Because we saw this with Bruno Fornaroli a few years ago when he went from City to Perth, is City waited until the transfer window had shut before they released him from his contract. And so, right. even though he was technically a free agent, he couldn't go and sign with Perth until the next window had opened. Okay, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, as it it really limits the possibilities there. That's if I understand the transfer rules correctly, and I'm 90% sure oh, I do. I back you I'm, sure, I'm sure you do. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, you're looking at someone who potentially hasn't played football in two months by the time they sign with City, if Dara is able to bring someone in. You can't bring that fitness back up to speed immediately. Like, it's almost like, is there any point in signing someone other than to just be a body? So I think that just adds another layer of things is who they if if they bring someone in, who they bring in, how do they fit into the Dario system um, could make for some spicy last few games of content. So, yeah, that, that's kind of all I really wanted to add, to be honest. Yeah, no, interesting. We'll wait and see who that signing may be, but that will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of our own podcast. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, Pauletti. Uh, thank you for having me. We'll be back on Friday with a recap of the ASEAN uh, AFC Cup zonal final between the Mariners and the Bulls, and we're going to do part two of our little NPL previews as well, focusing on the Victorian teams that are destined for the national second tier in 2025. But thank you all very much for listening. Goodbye.